Samuel 16. So, for those of you who don't know, we have been, uh, we're what, week four now on a question and answer series. Uh, this was something that uh, we had discussed the possibility of doing, and it seems like it's really been picking up steam. Looks like it's really been, you guys have been interested in it. We do have a box in the back for you guys to go ahead and drop your questions in in case you have further questions. As I've mentioned before, it could be a question about the Bible that's just always stumped you, or it could be something that maybe you see happening in today's world or happening in the name of Christianity. And you're like, is that right? Does the Bible have anything to say about that? Drop it in the box. We will eventually discuss it. Uh, tonight, we will finally conclude uh, the four questions that Ben submitted. And as you can tell, uh, he's not here tonight. So uh, make sure that any terrifying things that happen to you tonight, you make sure to just pass it on to him. Uh, we, cut, we started this last week, this particular question about where do devils or demons, where do spirits come from? And we have a podcast that you can go online. It's FBCJ Solid Youth. You can go back to that. I'm not going to spend really any time in review because there's, wow, so much that we would have to go through. And it would take literally 70 minutes just to review the whole thing, which is conveniently how long the entire message took last week. So that just tells you how well of a job I do at reviewing. I don't do a good job reviewing. That's why we're just going to jump right in. The second question that Ben had asked as it pertains to devils or demons, and again, we talked last week about how that word demon doesn't show up in the Bible. The word the Bible uses is devils. And the question that he asks there is, can spirits slash devils affect the lives of Christians? And the one verse I do want to bring up in review is Ephesians 6.12. And this is a verse that should be familiar to a lot of you. Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. And I, I kind of pointed this out last week. I don't know if you ever really thought about it or not, but that word principality, do you know what it denotes? It denotes a territory. It denotes that there are powers or that there is a leader or a prince that is overseeing a specific territory. It didn't print off. Actually, you know what? I'm just going to read it from there then okay. when I bring it out then. We're good. Love you too. <laughs> Completely contradicts what it was like when you were singing, but anyways. Uh, but against principalities, against powers, he's letting you know that, hey, our real issues, it's not your teachers. The real issues you guys have that you face on a day-to-day -day basis, it's not the friends that make fun of you for carrying your Bibles to school, depending if you do that or not. I would suggest you should every single day. Great testimony. It's not flesh and blood, but no, it's principalities, it's powers, it's princes that are overseeing a territory. Well, where's this territory? He keeps going against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. We talked a lot last week about that phrase, high places. Jesus is referred to as the son of the most high. A lot of false idol worship, a lot of false uh, worship of devils and false gods took place in these high places, on these mountaintops, in these high groves, as you look at the Old Testament. But to answer last week's question, where do devils come from? We believe that one possibility is that it happened when the sons of God, these angelic beings, left their first estate, came down and had sexual intercourse with the daughters of men, and their offspring, the Bible says, produced giants. And then that was the catalyst that God then used to send the flood in to wipe everything out because even the DNA was getting jacked up. Not just between humans, but even animals. And there was a mixing of the DNA. A lot of talk about 
modifying DNA th these days too. Interesting. It's almost like what happened then is going to be happening in the last days, which was also something we saw last week. So again, I refer you to go check that out. So the disembodied spirits of those giants when they all died in the flood, that's where we believe one possibility of where devils could come from. So, first bullet point on your outline, let's dive into this. And by the way, don't be freaked out at the study sheet. Yeah, I put a lot of verse on here. In fact, every single reference pertaining to these spirits or these devils, I put them on here. We're not going to look at all of them, but it's there in case you wanted to go a step further and study it out yourself this week. We're just going to look at a select few and give some commentary on it. So, first bullet point, there's various types of spirits and devils found in Scripture. The first one that you see is called an evil spirit. You can check out the first time it ever shows up is in the book of Judges, but we're here in 1 Samuel 16. Real quick, anybody tell me, uh, does anybody remember what happened in chapter 15? We know chapter 16 is where David is going to be anointed as the future king, which means that something is going on or has already happened to the present king of Israel. And that would have to do with what happened in chapter 15. Who's the present king in Israel? Saul. And in chapter 15, he was given a very specific command. And we touched on this last week, too, and I've forgotten all about it. He was given a command by Samuel to go into the enemy territory and to wipe out and utterly obliterate everything of the Amalekites. He says, man, woman, child, their cattle, wipe everything out. Why? Because there were giants in the land in those days and thereafter also. Somehow the giants made it across the other side of the flood. That'd be an interesting question to put in the box. But they were told to go in and wipe everything out because if, man, if these things were allowed to continue to breed, they were going to cause Israel a lot of big problems. And Saul didn't follow through with it. He did a little bit. He obeyed a little bit. He did just what he thought was enough. But really when you look at it, incomplete obedience is the same as disobedience in the same way in your life too. If God's asking you to do something and you only fulfill half of it or you only do one step forward but then it's two steps back, God still sees that as disobedience. We call it, well, just being balanced, living a balanced life. The Bible also calls it lukewarm. And it makes God want to vomit as you study Revelation chapter 3. He wants us to be fully committed. And so from that point, look at verse Samuel, or 1 Samuel 16, look at verse 14. But the Spirit, is that capitalized or lowercase? Capitalized. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Quick note on that. This is not the church age. In the Old Testament, if you disobeyed God, you didn't have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit like you and I do today if you're saved. They could lose that. They could lose that benefit. They could lose that perk. They could lose that joy of the Spirit. Saul did. But it wasn't just that he lost it. Look what happens next. And an evil what? From the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man. And you know the rest of the story. They go and get David. David plays the harp to get the Spirit away from Saul. And then chapter 18, you could look at that later, but the same thing happens where the evil spirit comes back. But turn over to chapter 19. David plays his harp, makes the evil spirit go away. Oh, yay. Music helps. 
And then you get to 1 Samuel 19, verse 9. And the evil, what? From the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand and David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence and he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Here, Saul actually tried to take David out. Grabbed a javelin, threw it right at him. That harp didn't get that evil spirit away that time. You know, there's a big fuss and a big talk in churches today about music. I don't know if any of you guys have been paying attention to this Asbury revival going on right now. And where's it at? I don't even know where it's at. Who cares? Anyways, they're calling it a revival. And really, when you look at it, there's a lot of music. There's a lot of prayer going on. But there's also a lot of immorality behind the scenes that you may not be hearing about. But if you dig deeper as far as what topics are being discussed when somebody actually does go behind a pulpit and open up a Bible, you'll understand just what really is going on there. And it has nothing to do with revival. Just because there's a lot of music and a lot of hype, that don't make it good. That doesn't mean it's going to get rid of all the evil spirits. Case in point, what we just read right here. This is the beginning of David's troubles. This is where David then flees and becomes a fugitive for the rest of the book. Saul gives in to this evil spirit, and it causes him to be incredibly violent and to try to kill somebody. And you can check out those passages later, but the next point I want to turn to you is we're going to go to the second bullet point right now. Turn over to Zechariah chapter 13. If you're new to the Old Testament, just go to the end where you have Malachi and work your way backwards. You won't be too far. Zechariah chapter 13. This brings us to our second spirit we're going to look at tonight. And to fill in your blank, it is unclean spirits. We're going to spend a little bit of time here. Unclean spirits. This is the first time in the Bible where the phrase unclean spirit shows up. And as we had talked about not too long ago when we did our How to Study the Bible class, looking at the rules or the keys of Bible study to help you unlock the truths of Scripture so that you don't need a man standing behind a pulpit to tell you what the Bible means. You are more than capable of doing it yourself when you just take these keys and apply them to your life. One of the things we looked at in that class was the law of first mention. First time something shows up, that usually is a good indicator as to what it actually means and what the definition is in the Bible. Look with me in verse 2. Zechariah 13, 2. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirits to pass out of the land. Verse 3, And it shall come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy, then his father and his mother that begat him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live. For thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord, and his father and his mother that begat him shall thrust him through when he prophesieth. Mark it down. The first time that unclean spirit shows up in the Bible, it has to do with false prophets preaching and teaching things that are not found in the Word of God. And the Bible says that in doing so, it's actually that of an unclean spirit going out and teaching. You might also want to take note of the fact that it says in that day, which is a very uh, 
um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it sounds like synonymous. Ominous. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know who I'm thanking. Uh, Spirit of God, that's who it was. A very ominous term, talking about the day of the Lord, talking about the times of the end. Turn over to Matthew. I'm sorry, actually, Mark chapter 1. Again, ton of passages in the Gospels that you'll see of Christ healing people that are possessed with these evil and unclean spirits. You can check them out later. We're only going to look at a few and see what we can glean from them. Mark chapter 1, verse 23. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let me alone. Is that what it says? Huh. He had an unclean spirit, which denotes how many? One. And yet when he speaks, he's talking plural. Hmm. You know, as we go along in tonight's study and as you read some of these passages yourself, you'll see, man, that sounds like that's a medical condition that happens today. And the thing that you'll have to discern is, okay, obviously I'm not saying that if someone is schizophrenic that they are demonic and devil-possessed. And you might even see some passages, too, where people start foaming at the mouth and they have epilepsy. No, not everyone that is epileptic, that's, that's, that doesn't mean that they're devil-possessed. Schizophrenia is a little in interesting, though, when you actually study it out. When somebody has multiple personality disorder, especially when you look at how long ago it was supposedly discovered, that it was supposedly brought up, you might be curious as to what you find when you study out that quote-unquote mental illness. It might not actually be one, as you'll see from the case after case after case of somebody with an unclean spirit speaking. Verse 24 again, saying, Let us alone, which have, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Again, if you were here with us last week, or if you have no idea what I'm getting at with that, go back and listen to that message, because that is a unique phraseology that is used there. That unclean spirit, because of where he came from, knows exactly who he's dealing with. He knows that it's not Jesus of Nazareth, some good teacher, some man of the Jewish, Jewish sect. No, he knows he's the son of the Most High, who sits on the throne in heaven. Verse 25, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him, the guy that he was in, and cried with a loud voice. He came out of him, and all, the, and they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he, even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Do you see the emphasis there in that verse? It's not on the healing that God did. And boy, what a miracle it was. But his emphasis, the emphasis of the people here, it's not on the miracle. It's on the authority of the word that commanded that. This book will change your life. You might sit down tomorrow morning, open up this book just to quote-unquote do devotions, and have your entire world rocked by what God wants to share with you. It can be dangerous business opening up your Bible. Be careful. This book is powerful, commands authority, and it commands us to revere it and respect it. All right, flip on over to chapter 5 of this book. We're going to spend some time here. 
Because I think out of any passage, any story in all of the Bible pertaining to devils, somebody who is possessed with the devil or with an unclean spirit, evil spirit, chapter 5 of the book of Mark might just be the most infamous passage. Mark chapter 5. Follow along with me in verse 1. Again, we're going to camp out here for a little bit, but there is a lot that we get to glean. Verse 1, And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. Now, you know what's interesting about the country of the Gadarenes or about the, the, the city that it's called or country, I guess you'd say? Oh, whoops. Here's question 1, in case you guys forgot what we're on. Here's a map. So it says they came across the other side of the sea. Obviously, it's the Sea of Galilee. They come across the other side, and here they are in Gadara. But did you know that it didn't always have that name, Gadara? You know what it was before that? This is a little bit of a different map. What we just saw, the Sea of Galilee, it's now up here. And if Gadara is right here, what does that say? Kingdom of Og. And it kind of already gives away what type of map this is, but it says right there, this is a map of the land of the giants. And specifically, kingdom of Og, Joshua 13, 12 says, all the kingdom of Og is Bashan, the Gadarenes, the Gadara, in other words, where this passage in Mark 5 is taking place at, which reigned in Ashtaroth, look that name up later, in Edri, who remained of the remnant of the who? Giants, for these did Moses smite and cast them out. As we discussed last week, when angelic beings left their first estate and mated with the daughters of men, they bred giants. When Noah's flood came and wiped out those giants, we believe, as one possibility, created the disembodied spirits that we now know as demons. So in this story that we're about to read in Mark 5, he's letting us know that the very same place where Jesus is about to meet this person just so happens to be in the exact same place where there were once giants. Coincidence? I think not. Verse 2. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with what? who had his dwelling among the tombs. Now here, twice in two verses, it lets you know something about unclean spirits. They have an affinity for the dead. They love dead things. They love being surrounded by tombs, being surrounded by dead things. In fact, dead things have no effect on them. They love morbid stuff. They love being in the presence of these sorts of things. And note how the end of verse 3 goes. He says, No man could bind him, no, not with chains. Somebody who's possessed with an unclean spirit has seemingly supernatural, superhuman strength. Now, if you want to take notes, and I don't know if your Bibles have this or not, but in some Bibles you have the, the parallel account in another gospel story. A parallel account of this takes place in Luke chapter 8. And it gives us a little bit more of the story here. And when he went forth to land, verse 27, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils, long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. One thing you gather from Luke's account of this story that you don't get in Mark, this guy 
with his unclean spirit in him has an affinity for being naked all the time. There's just something going on with demonic activity, nudity, and the dead. Interesting. Back in Mark 5, verse 4. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. They're uncontrollable. Can't control them. Verse 5. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying. Excessive emotions. Uncontrollable emotions. It's a trait of demonic activity. No, I'm not saying if you're hyper-emotional that you have a demon in you. I'm not saying that. I'm just reading the passage and making inferences based upon what the text says. And look what else he was doing. Cutting himself with stones. I remember this started, well, I don't think it started, but this, this became a major thing when I was in high school of people doing this to themselves. And uh, I remember thinking that it went away because I stopped hearing about it. So let me just say this. If you're in here and you're struggling with this, or if you know of anybody who is, will you please find someone to talk with them? You have plenty of people in here that are willing to. If you are struggling with this, will you please come see us? Because based upon what we just read, there's more going on behind the scenes than just you're trying to deal with your pain. Not discounting that. And I'm not discounting any depression that might legitimately be going on in your life or in their life. But as we can see from what we just read, this is a trait that is linked with devil possession. With having devils oppressing or possessing an individual. And you realize this is even happening in the Old Testament. 1 Kings 18.28. You guys remember this story? And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. What is significant about 1 Kings 18? Anybody know? What caused these people to do that? First of all, who are these people? Mason? Is it the people who are trying to worship their, or their God to come down? Yes. You know, it was Baal. Absolutely right. These are Baal worshipers. Mentioned last week that Baal worship was closely tied to what the giants worshipped. In fact, that actually began in the land of Canaan, in the land of Og of Bashan, his kingdom, the giants. Baal worship, this false god. Here we have them, the prophets of Baal, going up against our man Elisha. Or Elijah, sorry. Not Elisha, Elijah. And Elijah issues a contest to them. Hey, let's call down fire from heaven. You call upon your god Baal, I'll call upon my god Jehovah, and we'll see who answers us. And when the false god of Baal did not reach out and respond, in this religious ceremony, because that's what it was, these religious people did this, 
and you read the context of that story, it was in an attempt to appease their God so that he would hear them. This guy here, who was possessed with an unclean spirit, doing the exact same thing. So if you're in here, whatever issues you have, do you know the Bible has an answer for it? And you have people in this room who are more than willing to sit down and be a listening ear to help you with it. But please, don't resort to anything like this because now you're entering into a different realm. Remember we talked about last week, what is it that these angels, what is it they craved because they didn't have it? Blood. They craved blood because angels don't have blood. These demons, these spirits, they're always needing, as you study it out, again, I gave you all of the passages for you to look this up this week. A demon and a spirit always need to be in a body. They always need to be in blood because it's how they are able to reproduce to get more of them. Be careful. Be careful. If you want to write down a passage, write down Hebrews 2, 14 and 16. It talks about how Jesus became flesh and blood. And it even says in verse 16 that he, he wasn't fashioned like after the angels. He was fashioned like after the children of men who have flesh and blood. That's what sets us apart from the unseen world. That's why they want so badly what we have. That's why they give you the problems that you go through each and every single day of your life. That's why you need to do what Ephesians 6 says and armor up every day. Verse 6. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Oh, goodness, that's a whole message in and of itself. A devil worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ. Do devils out-worship you? Do they run and bow at the knees of Christ more rapidly than you do? That'll convict. And cried with a loud voice, verse 7, and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Note it singular. Why do I say noted singular? Because look at verse 9. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the where? Now, I started off tonight talking about principalities and powers and how that word principality denotes a territory that somebody is the, they've been given power over that territory. And again, refer back to last week's study when we talk about Psalm 82 and Psalm 86, talking about how there are angelic hosts that are given territories to reign over, and even Ephesians 6.12. Spirits, spiritual wickedness in high places, they have territories that they are over. It could be that this demonic evil spirit, unclean spirit, 
that the reason he was in the kingdom of Og of Bashan, now called the Gadarenes, Gadara, is because this was his territory that he was over for the kingdom of darkness. And he's begging the Lord of the Most High to not send him away from his territory. I think it's Matthew's account of this passage. You'll even hear, you'll, you'll see this exact same story where he says, Are you here to destroy us before it's time? They know their numbers do. They know their time is up. But he asks him, Hey, are you going to destroy us before it's time? Because we still have some fun that we want to do here first. And he besought him much that he would not send him out of the country. Verse 11. Now there was nigh unto the... Where? Ah, so this guy is high up in the high places where the groves always are as you study out where this false idol worship always happens in high places trying to get back into the other realm. There was nine in the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, Christ, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter the inn, and to them. For and forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep. Uh, oh, there was one more verse about verse 10 that I wanted to mention. When he talks about being sent out of the country, Luke's account, Luke 8.31, they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. You know what that word deep means there? The abyss. You know what the abyss is? It's the bottomless pit. That's what they were talking about. Hey, are you here to destroy us before it's our time? That's Luke's account. That's why they didn't want to go out of the country. They still had work they wanted to do. So the swine, as you guys know the rest of the story, the swine go down into the sea and they drown themselves. Verse 15, And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting. He's still and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Whew. You can keep reading on the rest of the story about everybody that was just amazed at this and even the man who had been cleansed of it he goes around and it says about all the great things the Lord hath done because the Lord had compassion on him you realize the Lord wants to have compassion on each and every single soul that you pass in the hallway every single day whether they're possessed with an unclean spirit or not whether they're dabbling in some of these things we talked about or not if they don't have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of them, they're lost. And if they were to take their last breath tomorrow, they would be separated from Him for all of eternity in a place that He never designed for people to go to. According to Matthew 25, it's a place called hell. Do you care? Second question, do you care enough to do something about it? To be bold and to say something and to invite Him out? Show them all the weird, freaky stuff we get to talk about at church on Wednesday nights. Bring them out. Share the gospel with them. All right. So that's unclean spirits. All right, next, familiar spirits. Oh, I don't want to cut any of these out. All right, let me just say this, because I'm a realist. I know that probably not everyone's going to read all of these passages here. But please do this. Please highlight and circle Leviticus 19, Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 18, and check those passages out later. For the sake of time, we're going to cut them. Turn over to 1 Samuel 28. 
And this is actually kind of a, a twofer because this goes to your question, Caitlin, that you had asked. So we don't have the time to read the entire chapter of 1 Samuel 28, but something that you will find here, we're in the second to last, or no, we're not. How many more chapters in 1 Samuel? All right, third to last chapter. Fourth to last, sorry. I'm just going to shut up talking about how many chapters in 1 Samuel. Uh, 1 Samuel 28, we're towards the end of 1 Samuel. That's what I should have said. And Saul, as you guys have already seen in the passages we looked at, he's done. The Holy Spirit of God has departed from him. He now has an unclean spirit. He's not repenting. He's not seeking any kind of help. At least with a broken and contrite spirit, that is. With a broken and contrite heart. Genuine repentance. No, no, no. He's wanting to figure out, why is God so silent? Why is it that when I cry out to God, I'm not getting any answers? I want to kill David. Can't he help me do that? Goodness. Some of the crazy prayers we pray thinking that God's going to answer it. Saul's no different. So Saul has this genius idea. Well, Samuel's dead. Can't go to him. So I'm going to go to a witch. And I'm going to ask her to conjure up his dead spirit so I can talk to him. Genius idea. I do it all the time. No, just kidding. 1 Samuel 28. Where do we want to pick up? So Saul disguises himself. He goes to this witch. And again, all those passages in Leviticus is talking about, hey, you do not suffer anybody who communes with the dead or communes with spirits. That's what a familiar spirit is. You do not allow that person to live. And anybody who seeks after that kind of a familiar spirit, off with their head. God's not about it. You don't mess around with this stuff. You don't mess around with things like Ouija boards, I'm telling you. <laughs> I got some stories. I won't share them because time doesn't allow it. 1 Samuel 28, let's look at uh, verse 10. So Saul's disguised himself because this witch doesn't want to die. And Saul sware to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, Who shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. Again, Samuel's dead. He's seeking his spirit here. That's what this witch is going to conjure up. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, and the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me, for thou art Saul? Now, I don't know how many of you guys know about psychics, or, I mean, goodness, back in my day when we had cable, like, especially if you were watching TV late at night, there would always be, like, these weird, what was that Jamaican chick's name? I'm trying to Do you guys remember? I know where you're going with it. I forget her name. Dude, it was creepy. There was, like, this, like, call this telephone number and get this psychic reading from this Jamaican tarot card reader. It was the dumbest thing. We always just laughed at it whenever you saw it. Anywho, uh, that's essentially what she's doing here. But get it down. A lot of that stuff is phony and garbage. You still want to mess around with it. But let me just tell you, there are some people that do dabble with that stuff, and they do get responses. She obviously got a response that scared the living daylights out of her. Because she knew instantly, I can see through your disguise, Saul. I know that it's you, and I know that you deceived me and you lied to me. Verse 13, the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. Again, go back to last week's passage, last week's question. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. 
Now check this out. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me? To bring me up. And Saul answered, I'm I'm distressed. God's not answering me anymore. And so Samuel says in verse 16, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord's departed of me? And jump down to uh, verse 19. So he tells him, Hey, the reason God's silent with you is because you didn't do what I told you to do in in Amalek in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel doesn't say you didn't do what I told you to do in chapter 15 of my own book. I just threw that in there. But that's what he's saying. That's the reason why God's not listening to you. Uh, And so look at verse 19. Samuel tells Saul, Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. Something to note, at this time in history, heaven is not up in the air. Heaven is in the ground. This is a time where it's called, uh, or literally, the I can't remember the actual name of it. There's, there's something that's, that's called, not Abraham, I mean, I'm getting Abraham's bosom, but there, there's something that is for both places. It escapes me at the moment. But literally, in the earth, you have hell, and you have what's called Abraham's bosom. And there was this little gulf in between there. If you want an interesting read tonight, read Luke 16. You'll hear all about that, how the people who went to hell were able to see the people in Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom was heaven in the Old Testament. So when Samuel is sitting here saying that, hey, uh, tomorrow you and your sons, you're going to be with me. He's talking about, I'm here in Abraham's bosom. You're going to be on the other side of the gulf in hell. How do we Now, you might be asking yourself, how do we know that this is actually Samuel? Well, number one, what he just said here happened in the next chapter. Saul and Jonathan get slain. And they're gone. If it was an evil spirit, if it was a familiar spirit conjured up by this witch, there's no way the spirit would know this. And that he would get it completely accurate and nailed down. Now, the next question, this goes more along with what you were asking, Caitlin. Why would God allow this? You don't find this anywhere else happening in the Bible. And this does not contradict any of the other passages of God saying, hey, do not seek out a a necromancer. Do not uh, seek out a wizard. Do not seek out a witch. Do not try to conjure up spirits from the dead. This was a one-time, one-off occurrence where God did this to once and for all put a, a final stamp on Saul's life and say, hey, you want it? Here it is. Here's what's going to happen to you. Here's how it's going to go down for you. And it happens literally in the next chapter. What was the other question you had with that, Caitlin? Oh, why didn't he die as a result of it? Uh, that's right. First uh, Chronicles 10.13 says that Saul died for his transgression, which he committed against the Lord. Again, 1 Samuel 15. Even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not. And also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit. So here in 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13, it tells us that, hey, because Saul went and did that, he, he, it was still in line with God's word. He got got, as they say in the hood. All right. Uh, turn over to 2 Kings 21. Miss Cleo, that's right. Call me now for your free tarot card reading. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, they got just other stupid, crazy stuff now. But, man, check out some Miss Cleo commercials on YouTube. Where are we going, Corey? Second Kings 21. 
She was bad. Rick would come up with that either. Now again, from last week's from last week's message, we talked a lot about part of Baal worship had this whole thing with Moloch. Moloch was uh, he's actually he takes many different forms. That's an interesting topic for another day as well. Uh, yes, in some cases he is the owl god, uh, but Moloch was actually he was the bull god, which is why, as I mentioned earlier about Og of Bashan. If you trace Og of Bashan throughout Scripture, or just Bashan, again, that's the place where the Gadarenes is, or where Gadara is, uh, you'll find an interesting passage in Psalm 22, which is a prophetic psalm. It's known as the psalm of what Christ was thinking while he was on the cross. David wrote it. You'll find a lot of interesting verses in Psalm 22 that are also talking about what Christ did on the cross or what happened to him while he was on the cross. But you find a little interesting passage in Psalm 22 where it talks about the bulls of Bashan have encompassed me. Moloch was the bull god. Moloch and Baal were worshipped by the giants, the offspring of these angelic beings and the women of men. Verse 1 of 2 Kings 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign and reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem and his mother's name was Hephzibah. Yep. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. What did he do? Verse 3. For he built up against the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed and he reared up altars for who? And made a grove as did Ahab king of Israel and worshipped all of his gods? All the hosts of heaven. Hmm. Which again backs up the theory that all the hosts of heaven are these angelic, yes, small g gods that we looked at last week. That's who they're worshiping. And verse 4, And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven. Where? In the two courts of the house of the Lord. So verse 4 says that he did it in the house of the Lord, the temple. And here he's saying these, all these shrines of these false gods, he made these images to go in the house of God. In the courts. Do you catch it? In the house of God. Temple in the Old Testament. We're the temple in the New Testament, but you get that he's talking about a maybe a building where people would meet and congregate, let's just say on Sundays and Wednesdays. And in the house of God, you see shrines all along the walls of other We'll call them saints, because that's what the Bible says in Psalm 86. It's the congregation of the saints. And when you take that phrase and cross-reference it in Psalm 82, you'll see that it's talking about these angelic gods. But they die as men, as we saw last week. But they're being worshipped. There's images and icons all along the walls of them. Does that stuff happen today in places called the house of God? Boy, for being such an old book, this sure is relevant. Verse 6, And he made his son pass through the fire. He sacrificed his child. Again, talked about that last week. And observed times and used enchantments and dealt with what? 
Familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke an anger. If familiar spirits were being conjured up in houses of worship then, and the Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of God, so shall it be in these days. Yeah, I think it happens in churches today too. As we just saw in Zechariah chapter 12 or 13. All right, next. We have perverse. This only shows up one time in the Bible. Here it is, Isaiah 10, 13. The Lord hath mingled a perverse spirit in the midst thereof. Look what it's associated with. And they have caused Egypt to err in every work thereof as a, what? Drunken man staggereth in his vomit. A perverse spirit is likened with drunkenness. Does anybody know what another name for alcohol is? Mm -hmm. Boy, do I have a story on that but I don't have time to share it. I will at another point in time whenever we talk more in depth about drinking. Next, whoredoms. Hmm, is this talking about like spiritual adultery against God or is it talking about physical adultery? Well, as you'll find in Scripture, uh, one precedes the other. If you're going to commit spiritual adultery and cheat on your Lord, uh, you're not too far behind from committing physical adultery. Uh, Hosea chapter 5, verse 4. They will not frame their doings. They will not turn unto their God. For the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord. And I have some cross-references here. Again, talking about this whole grove and Baal worship, it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, What peace? So long as the whoredoms of thy mother who? Ah. And all you got to do is just look up Jezebel and what she did and how she led the Israelites to worship Baal and to eat things sacrificed to the dead through her witchcrafts, which are so many. And then you have Nahum, chapter 3. I was going to have you turn there just to have some fun, but I knew it would take too long. Because of the multitude... I don't even know where it is off the top of my head. Because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts, that selleth nations through her whoredoms. You want to do an interesting study? Study out each and every single civilization and nation that has fallen in history because of whoredom. Because of absolute, perverse sexual immorality. Oh, you want to do an interesting study modern day? Do it on the last part of this verse. And families through her witchcrafts. Again, witchcrafts and whoredoms. Dealing with a spirit of whoredom and actually committing the deed, it's connected with witchcraft. It's connected with unclean spirits. Remember our guy in Mark 5? He needed to be nude. He was always without his clothes on. Hmm. So, remember how I've been teasing about you guys not sleeping? You guys see, well, first off, that's a little creepy kind of a looking horse. Uh, you guys know what that little uh, guy is there? He's called an incubus. There's also one called succubus, and it is a female demon for males. Now, we talked last week that, again, I don't have the time to go into it, but a lot of the offspring of those giants in before Noah's flood, that it could possibly lend itself to be where we get a lot of Roman and Greek mythology from. 
because of the crossbreeding that was done, because, I mean, goodness, they have angelic blood in them. And so we came to the conclusion that, you know what, maybe mythology isn't so far-fetched. Maybe. Not saying it dogmatically, which is why you got to be careful with some of these things, but it's a possibility when you start looking at the Bible and what it says. So in that case, it may not be too far to surmise that these little mythological beings of Incubus and Succubus might actually be true. These are demons in mythology, and they're supposedly demons that come to you while you sleep. Here's something that was published in 2017, Demon Attacks at Night Explaining the Incubus Phenomenon. If you've ever woken up in the middle of the night, whoops, feeling as though you're being crushed by a demonic being, you may have just experienced what's called the Incubus Phenomenon, an attack by a male demon. The phenomenon is in many ways a quintessential nightmare. For centuries, the incubus demon has been said to haunt sleepers, inspiring tales of traditional folklore as well as works of art. Now, meta-analysis from the Netherlands suggests that this frightening phenomenon may be more common than previously thought, and that it should be taken more seriously by psychiatrists and psychologists who hear such accounts for their patients. The so-called attack usually occurs during an episode of sleep paralysis, a condition that is even more common than the incubus phenomenon. Uh, so it talks about REM sleep for a little bit. Uh, hold on, I have to skim through some stuff. I just found this literally before I left to come here, and I'm like, oh, I have to mention this. Uh, the analysis also found that people sleep on their backs are more likely to experience the phenomenon. Alcohol consumption and irregular sleeping patterns also make an incubus visit more probable. If you actually study out the incubus and what it was in mythology, it only was a demon that tried to uh, enter into your dreams or whatever, but they were supposedly the mythology is that it was trying to mate with you. It has both a male and a female counterpart. So they're sexual demons in nature, in other words. Uh, where is it? I just saw the one. Oh. Though the frightening experience gets frequently dismissed as just a bad dream, Blom, the psychologist, noted that the incubus phenomenon can lead to additional problems, including anxiety, difficulty sleeping due to fear, and even delusional disorder and mental illness akin to schizophrenia. People who have experienced the incubus phenomenon often report a level of anxiety that is off the scale. Many of them have the feeling that they will actually die during an attack. Whether that ever happens is unknown, even though for a person experiencing it, it's not hard to imagine this. Hmm. I recently spoke to a healthy 15-year-old girl who had experienced the incubus phenomenon. She found four miniature penguins dining at a table on her chest and had been thrilled and amused rather than scared. So, spirit of whoredoms, is it just, oh, kind of like the spirit of the day and age in which it is? Or is it maybe the disembodied spirit of the giants? I'll leave that to you. Lying spirit, you can check that out later. Foul, dumb, and deaf spirits. Uh, when Christ healed a lot of people, they, the spirit that was with them prevented them from speaking, prevented them from hearing, prevented them from listening. Uh... Spirit of infirmity. Spirit of divination. You can check that one out later. It's kind of similar to the, that one of the familiar spirits are conjuring that up. You also have a spirit of Satan, and you also have a seducing spirit, 
We're going to cover this on Sunday in the main service. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly, capital S, by the way, that in the latter times, shum sh shum, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. This one, again, is tied in with false doctrine and false teaching in the church. Their effect. We've seen some of this already. As you were to study out the other passages that we didn't have the time to look at, you will notice this also. Their effect. Possess. They come and go at will. They give supernatural strength. Your fourth bullet point there, they oppress. You know what oppress means? To load or burden with rigor or hardship, to overpower, to sit or lie heavy on. I remember hearing a testimony from one of you, again, of something that happened recently or that you went into a place and that was what you described it as. That what happened, you just felt just very oppressed in this certain place that you were at. It may not just be a feeling that you had. Some cases, maybe. Yeah. I'm not saying every single time that you feel that way that there's some demonic force. Not saying that. But maybe start thinking of certain circumstances that maybe it might actually be. Especially Acts 10.38 talks about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. They were worn down and a heavy burden, for God was with them. They attack. Next bullet point, they hurt you. We read it in Mark 5, but here's Luke 9. This is another case. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he's my only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him, that he foameth again, and bruising him, hardly departeth from him. They can cause us to be hostile to others. They can influence to murder. What we saw with Saul, with the javelin, Provoke suicidal behavior. Man. Uh, there's not more I want to say on that, but, you know, Mark 9.22, this is, again, another case. Yeah, man, did you ever pay attention as to how many times Christ healed people that were like this? And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire. Talking about the man possessed with the Spirit, it was casting him into the fire. It was casting him in the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Again, I can't stress this enough. If you have bouts with depression, I'm not dismissing it at all. I get it. It's a real thing. And when those thoughts and those feelings start taking you to places like this, it may not just be your thoughts. It may be something trying to move you and push you to do something that would have detrimental consequences. I have these two linked together, influence to murder and provoke suicidal behavior. You know what one thing we see happening a lot this day and age, and I really wish, I wish you guys were older to a degree. I wish you guys were older so that you could understand this. Do you understand that like Columbine school shooting happened my fifth grade year? It was completely unheard of. It was completely unheard of. And then not another one happened for like 
seemed like decades afterwards. The rate in which these mass shootings are happening, have you ever looked at how many of them end with the shooter taking his own life? I mean, I've never been in the situation, and again, I can't imagine the guy is going to last long in prison, but I'm like, what gets a per to a person to a spot where they do what they do, and then they honestly think, man, I, I could just l at least live in prison for the rest of my days. You very rarely hear that happening. Instead, in almost a methodical, in almost an uncontrollable way, as soon as they're done doing what they do, it's almost as though the act is just so completely draining and just completely desensitizing that they then just take the gun and without even thinking, turn it on themselves and take their own life. That's not normal. Then again, committing mass murder is not normal. That does something to you. It empties you out. I wouldn't be surprised if the next time you hear of a mass shooting and the guy took his own life, probably wasn't him in control anymore. Maybe. Maybe he was just a sociopath for so long he had no feelings for such a long time. But then again, goodness, maybe that's demonic in nature. Next, it causes insanity. Gives physical defects and deformities. No, if you have a physical defect or deformity, that does not mean that you are demon-possessed. No. If you read those passages, you'll see, man, some people, man, this just came out of nowhere. Causes dumbness, causes blindness. Next page. Causes nakedness. Huh. You know what the porn capital of the world is? Hollywood. You guys actually know what Hollywood means, where it gets its name from? Well, it's wood from a holly tree. You know what wood from a holly tree was used for? Back in Ireland, the ancient Druids, who were part of the occult, they would take their, their little holly tree branches and they would try to conjure up spirits so they could see visions. Stink, I, don't, I didn't, forgot to do this. Does anybody have a phone on them that does not, like, if I show it to you, it's going to, like, think, oh, face recognition? I want to show you guys something real quick. You want to turn the phone off? Yeah, I guess so. Hollywood, holly trees, conjuring up of spirits to get visions from people. Question. What do you guys see? Well, look again. Hmm? A reflection. This is a mirror. But it's dark. Anybody ever heard the phrase black mirror? No, it's not a Netflix TV show. It is. I'm going to do this. It's probably going to jack up my PowerPoint. Can anybody see on here? I can see myself. I look kind of creepy. You guys look kind of creepy too. It's a mirror. It's a reflective device, but it's black. It's a mirror. It's a reflective device, but it's black. Black mirrors are used in the occult by those who try to conjure up familiar spirits for them to look into. They had this black ball that was reflective, and they were trying to get visions out of the ball, out of the black mirror, to conjure up spirits. 
Hmm. You can conjure up a lot of spirits looking into this black mirror. Conjure up a lot of spirits looking into this thing. It probably killed it. I'm just telling you guys, when it says that spirits can cause nakedness, there's nothing more demonic than a whole bunch of people getting together, getting naked, fornicating, and then recording themselves doing it so that you can then watch and get naked yourself and do it. You think there's not a spirit behind that? Right. Revelation 3.17, you can check it out later. You want to know a description of the church age that you and I live in? We think we're one thing, but at the end of it, God says, oh, you're naked and you don't even know it. Next, they deceive. Oh, too many passages to look at. Stink. Check those out. Please circle all of those passages on there later for you to look at. Next, they predict the future vaguely. Uh, next, they talk to people as if they were dead loved ones. Although in that case, for First Samuel, as we saw, that really was the case. Next, they persuade. Oh, and most certainly do they hinder the gospel. They entangle with religion. They tempt us into idolatry. Actually, here, I'll pull it up now. 1 Samuel 15.23, For rebellion is as the sin of what? Witchcraft. Now, we're talking about the spirit realm, guys. Next week, we're going to look at where sin really began. And it began with a rebellion of spirit beings. So when you have a spirit of rebellion in your house, at school or with your teachers, or with us, you're tampering with the unseen world, my friend. You're tampering with the sin that caused Lucifer to fall. And he goes on. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you're worshiping yourself. When you're being stubborn, when you have a stubborn attitude towards what a direction that maybe a command your parent has, or some at church or in the Bible even, and you're stubborn about it, you are your own God. Oh, by the way, 1 Samuel 15, where Saul lost the capital S spirit of God and got an unclean spirit. Tempts us with idolatry, adultery, and unrighteousness. Next, provides wealth. And then capitalizes on our weakness. We just saw 1 Samuel 15, 23. You know what you'll find out too? When you read all of those passages, especially 1 Corinthians 7, 2 Corinthians 2, Ephesians 4, 2 Timothy 3. Just underline those ones, the rest. You know what you'll find out? There's a whole bunch of gates and a whole bunch of doors that just creak open a little bit for you to let in uncleanness. Rebellion and stubbornness is a door. Strife left undone is a door. Unforgiveness left undone is a door. Unchecked anger is a door. We saw that. Pride, bad testimony, bitterness, pornography. You want to do an interesting study? 
You know what, you know what the long-term effects of pornography addiction are? Isolation, increased aggression, distorted beliefs about relationships, negative feelings about themselves. In other words, look above the list we just covered. Do you not see that there? Now again, like with everything else I'm saying, don't start looking at each other and be like, oh, that fits that person to a T, and start thinking things. I'm just saying, we think it's harmless. It is the bubonic plague of this church age. So what's the answer? I'm sorry, we got to take the time to look at this. Colossians 2. How does it affect us as Christians? Because as you'll notice, as you'll notice, not a lot is happening in the church age. A lot of it is the Gospels, which the Gospels, technically speaking, are still the Old Testament. A lot of it in the Old Testament. I think it goes without saying that these spirits, they haven't gone away. They're still here. But what about us and how it affects us? Colossians chapter 2 we got to look at a couple more passages. We're going to wrap up. Colossians 2.11 In whom also ye, believer, are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What he's saying here, long story short, the moment you got saved, the moment you called upon Christ to save you, a surgical operation took place inside of you where the Spirit of God came and lived inside of you, dwelling inside of you, but He didn't just come to live inside of you. No, He came and He sealed Himself. He wrapped Himself around your soul and He committed a surgical operation where He circumcised or cut loose your soul from your body. That's how you and I, no matter what things we get caught up in and involved in, when God the Father looks down, He sees the Spirit of God living and dwelling inside of us. He sees us as perfect. Crazy idea, right? But it's what the Bible says. Verse 12. Buried with Him in baptism, wherein ye are also risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. So you're forgiven, you're sealed, your, your soul has been circumcised from your body. I'm going somewhere with this. Up here on the screen, Ephesians 1.14. He says that when He gave us the Spirit to live inside of us and did that operation, He says that this is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased... What's that word? That's what we all want to know, right? Can a devil spirit possess us now? Right here, we got the Spirit of God living inside of us. He's possessing us. He possesses our soul and our spirit. But you know what this verse is also talking about? He's letting us know that there's still one element that God does not have of us yet that He will get at the rapture of the church. What one part of us does He not have yet? Our body. Maybe that's the reason why you have a verse like 1 Thessalonians 4.4, 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, your body, in sanctification and honor. Check the passage out. He's saying, don't get caught up in the crap of this world like we just looked at. Tomorrow, Luke 11. We got to see this. We have to. Man, I even cut out a ton of passages too. Luke 11. So you guys get the picture here? Spirit of God has possession of your soul. You can't lose your salvation because it's His. He bought it. 
your body, you're commanded. You better keep possession of it. You better keep it under control. You better not get involved with crap you shouldn't be. Look at Luke 11 here. We're wrapping up, folks. Verse 24. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, talking a picture of salvation, he, the spirit, walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my where? Where's the house? The body. I'll return unto my house whence I came out. And when he cometh, he find it swept and garnished, because the Spirit of God cleans up your life. Then goeth he, the Spirit, and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Now you might be thinking, where on earth are you going with this one? When you look at that last verse and you talk and he's talking about the last state is worse than the first state. You take that phrase and you look up where else that might show up in the Bible and it'll take you over to 2 Peter chapter 2. So turn over there. Second Peter chapter 2. Rick preached on this not too long ago. Verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, right here, talking about saved people, you have escaped your sin, you have escaped the corruption of your flesh. If you become entangled therein, the pollutions of this world, all the crap we talked about tonight, and overcome, oh, check that out. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again. You go back to your sinful lifestyle. You go back to where you were before you were saved. You're not possessing your vessel. Unclean spirits, devils, they can't possess your soul. They can certainly oppress you. You and I feel it every single day of our lives. That's why we got to armor up. But in this case, though, he's making it seem that you walk away from the Lord, you go back to the filth of the world, you might be opening yourself up to more than what you can bargain for. And the latter end is going to be worse than when it first began. I've met some Christians who have walked away from God and gone back to their old lifestyle and they're not the same. They're not there. Again, I have stories. One particularly that broke my heart and I almost started weeping at a wedding because I met people who meant a dear lot to me and they weren't there anymore. They were not there. They walked away from God. So yes, I do believe based upon the scripture we looked at, you can have some of these experiences that we just looked at, even in the Gospels. But what's our weapon to fight this level of spiritual warfare? Just listen to James 4. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. Don't get in involved in the junk that we've looked at. Don't play around with your soul. And in some cases, if you're battling with some of these things and it doesn't seem like it goes away, hear what Christ said after a, a possession that 
The disciples were like, man, why couldn't we cast out these devils? And he said to them, man, this kind comes forth nothing but by prayer and fasting. You got something that you feel like you're being oppressed by, it just won't go away? Uh, I suggest you get on your knees and you do some fasting where you want nothing from uh, nothing at all except this book, and you start gobbling this book up. And it'd probably be good to go for about 40 days, because that's what Christ did. I know the hour's late, but we covered a lot. I want to make sure. Is there any questions or things that aren't clear? All right. I'm exhausted. Let's pray and get out of here.